Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I am Eric Kane, alongside Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price. Appreciate you guys for being here, and a big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for making this podcast possible. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. They've been local and trusted since 1999. That's good folks at Exterior Home Solutions, 865-524-5888. Give that phone number a call for a free estimate if you have the need for some home renovations and uh, upgrades. All right, guys, uh, coming into a Kentucky week, but first we'll look back at the Alabama game third Saturday in October. It was a really good first half for Tennessee. It was a really bad second half for Tennessee. Lo and behold, Tennessee loses 34-20. to Balls a 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two on the season. Austin Price, a frustrating night for all involved, especially when you look at that first half, and Tennessee was in control and, and quite frankly, dominant at points in times. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Frustrating is the best way to describe it because if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're a Tennessee coach, Tennessee player, you know, you had Alabama on the hook and, and you let them off. And, you know, you know, to have a halftime lead against Alabama – you know, I think it's you know, since Philip was fired, I think the only times it's happened were last year and this year. Um, you know, and you had a real shot down there to win for the first time since 2003, Brent. And, you know, second half was uh, a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, you missed opportunities in the first half, Rob Lewis, to, to have a bigger lead. And then you, you weren't ready to play to start the third quarter. Um, you had two defensive breakdowns, bust, whatever you want to call them. And, um, then the third quarter just snowballed on you. And I, and I think that's moving forward. The concern is how do you avoid uh, that happening to you again? Because it's happened to you twice now that two road games have gotten away from you in 15 minutes because you let a couple things snowball on you. But don't overlook the fact that Tennessee let Alabama off the hook in the first quarter by not being able to close out in the red zone. Yeah, I, I know. And Hubbard, as it was happening, both those times, first down, and they didn't get. I, I was just picturing your your facial expression. Man, you, you talked about it all week long, and been when you're putting emphasis on podcast and you know ten things I think you know, Tennessee's red zone numbers, what they had been, you know, in regards to to finishing with touchdowns since the Virginia game, and you know it was just it it unfolded you know right in front of you. But even even with that, the way you know they they opened. The, the first half of the touchdown drive, they closed the first half with a touchdown drive. Even with those hiccups, you know, it still felt like they had the momentum for about two plays in the third quarter. And then it was just after that first Alabama drive, I, I don't think there's a Tennessee fan on the planet that's surprised about what happened in the third quarter. I think there's a lot of reasons why Tennessee lost this game, but obviously get, kind of focus on the positives here to begin this podcast. Love the way they came out and attacked Joe Milton or attacked with Joe Milton's legs. Um, of course, the third down that he picked up on the opening drive. I mean, that was him. He was flushed out of the pocket. He ran to the sticks, ran over a guy. I thought that was really, really good to see on the opening drive, considering he kind of did the complete opposite. The first series against Texas A&M 
but they made it a focal point to use his legs to try to make up for some yardage. But even throwing the football started nine and nine. Um, that opening drive, he was five for five, 65 yards. And that touchdown pass to Squirrel White, Brent, beautiful ball, beautiful catch. And uh, you couldn't script a better start for Tennessee. But again, it's like you couldn't script a better start for Tennessee in the swamp either. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, and Elijah Simmons talked about it on Monday. It's it's about finishing. I mean, you got to play the full 60 minutes. And uh, Tennessee got off to a great start. And Joe Milton played really well in the first half. The receivers were got open. I mean, everything was going the way it was supposed to go in, in the first half. And then, you know, in the third quarter, you lost momentum. Um, you got backed up uh, on, on a fluky thing that happened and, and a call that, that you don't ever hardly see. Well, you never, you never see it. Let's be honest with it uh, on the fair catch deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, one becomes two becomes four becomes eight and, and the game's just, you know, out of control, but um, it was a great start for Tennessee. I mean, again, Joe Milton missed a throw to Brent to Jacob Warren, um, but he may come back and made a really nice throw to Castles there on, on the touchdown to close out the half. Squirrel makes a great catch. Tennessee did a lot of things well um, early on. They just got to learn to play a, a full game, and, and they've got to learn to kind of move on to the next play when something bad happens. I don't think the defense recovered, Rob, from the two snaps. I, I think they were on their heels, and it took them – I don't know if they got their footing back in the second half at all because after those two plays, it, it was like, you know, Superman had taken off his cape, so to speak. And not that they were Superman in the first half, but it was it was a real, like almost a reality check for them, which shouldn't have been. They just didn't handle it very well after those two plays. No, and they but they also didn't get any help from the offense. You know, not I'm not talking about a scoring drive, just stringing together, you know, two or three first downs where you could – you know, go get to the sideline, regroup, you know, here, you know, what do you see? And here's what went wrong. You know, you go from that, those, those two plays immediately to the, you know, whatever the botched miscommunication, you know, fair catch signal, you're, you're starting on the four, you're three and out, but you know, another, another, you know, kind of longish drive for the field goal. And, you know, suddenly it's a, it's a 20 to 17 game. And this, you know, Again, yeah, I, I don't. Th- I agree with you, Hubbard. The defense did not recover, but the offense didn't give them any breathing room either. It didn't give them a chance. You guys have both brought up that fair catch. Was it a fair catch? Was it not a fair catch? You know, two times there in that in that brief, you know, couple of minutes. Josh Heibel was asked about that on Monday for further clarity. Um, and kind of, kind of what, what what would happen? Because of course, that was a huge point in the football game. They went down, scored on those two plays to begin the third quarter. And then you're backed up at the four when you should be at the 20 plus. Here's what Josh Hypo had to say about that sequence, the fair catch, non fair catch there in the third quarter. Well, I mean, letter of the law, uh, anybody puts their hand up above the shoulder, um, that would signify a, a fair catch. We had a frontline guy that put his pointer finger up uh, slightly above his shoulder. Is, is he coached to do that just to say this? No, he, he's not coached to do that. No. Obviously, none of us probably saw that in real time. I didn't get to see it. I didn't really see it on the replay. Somebody screen grabbed it, and I've seen it on a Monday. And Josh Hobble just kind of says, you know, no matter what happens, if you, you know, have have your hand go above your shoulder, that's a fair catch. I mean, Brent, have you seen anything like that? I mean, obviously, he's not calling a fair catch. It's one of very, it's one of the the many questionable calls uh, in that football game. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, it was a deflating moment for Tennessee. Well, no, I haven't. I mean, and I'm not sure what an. That an official is looking for that, right? Yeah. I mean, you got a lot of things to look for uh, on that play. Um, 
that that's an interesting one to look for when you've got 11 guys out there. Is everybody on sides? Is, you know, the two guys in the back signaling for a fair catch? If it's a sky kick, is it an up guy signaling for a fair catch? I don't think anybody on the front line has ever signaled for a fair catch before, um, or at least I haven't seen it. So, you know, it's an unusual play. I, I think that this is an off-season discussion based on what happened uh, Austin in that Iowa Minnesota game and, and what happened in the, the Tennessee game. This is an off season discussion on, you know, how are you going to define what a fair catch is? Because the, the, the letter of the law in the rule book, as I've read, it says you have to wave your arm. You have to make a gesture with your arm to signal a fair catch, not pointing with your hand above your shoulder or, you know, something to that effect. Um, I think that's something that has to be looked at and, and has to be discussed in the offseason based on the impact that we've seen those two calls this week. Yeah, I mean, again, I, you know, I, by the letter of the law, sure, I guess, you know, they, they're justified in making the call. Again, to me, there's always common sense that kicks in. And if you're that referee, uh, common sense should have said the guy that's the, you know, 30 yards away from the, the kick isn't calling for the fair catch. You know I mean? Like, you know, he pointed at the sky or whatever he pointed at. Um, but Shouldn't again, have done it to, to begin with, but still like, yeah, again, very... you know, I would tell you, and I would tell you if this had happened to Alabama, I would tell you the same thing. Like, you know, like if, if, if Tennessee, if, if this had happened and, and Alabama fans were upset because it had happened to them, I, I'm, you know, I would tell you that Alabama in some ways, you know, kind of got robbed of the moment because, you know, again, I think common sense has to kick in. Common sense should have kicked in with that official, but it obviously didn't. And, uh, you know, again, being very black and white, to me there's always a shade of gray on things, and, you know, it kind of is what it is. But, I mean, I think Hubs is right. I think it's something you have to address in the offseason um, because, you know, it, it, it definitely hampered Tennessee having to start from the four-yard line, right? I mean, like, they went three – run plays, punted it away, and, you know, got Alabama more points because of a short field. Yeah, one of the, one of the many questionable things, calls in that football game, and there's been a lot of talk about the officiating first of the week, and again, like, I think we've all pretty much said, Austin said it a lot after the game, Brent wrote about it, I've written about it, we've talked about it, I'm Rob, I'm sure you've written about it, I mean, the officiating was bad, I mean, point blank, it was bad, it's been bad in college football this year. Um, and, and that can, that can affect the ebbs and flows of a football game. Uh, but Rob, I mean, Tennessee didn't score a point in the second half. Tennessee was outscored 27 to nothing. It was, it was just a disastrous final two quarters and absolutely a missed call here and there could have changed the difference. I mean, Tyler Barron was absolutely choke slammed on that, that, that on that touchdown pass at the beginning of the third quarter, um, should have been called. It wasn't called, uh, Tennessee did a lot to lose this game, uh, where it did so much to, to win it in the first half. It felt like. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I totally get where everybody's coming from with the officiating. I mean, I and do it, too. I get and, it. And, it, and to me, it's not so much the eight that Tennessee was called for. It's the one, you know, for five yards that, that Alabama was called for. And, you know, again, Tennessee left it. They, they left themselves open to, you know, get victimized by that, by, you know, just melting down in the third quarter. But um, I just, I mean, there were so many opportunities there that, that I just can't say, you know, cut and dry black and white the officials lost that game but yeah i mean i, I get where fans are coming from 100 i mean it's it, it's pretty egregious when you, you when you look at the difference there but but the bottom line is you, you just you got shut out in, in the second half 
he picked up one first down in the entire you know third quarter, and you had all the momentum. So I you know I I can't just say it's, it's the officials. I, you know Tennessee missed an opportunity. You're not going to be up twenty to seven in, in that building very yeah. often at, at halftime. You know with with and, and it wasn't a fluky twenty to seven. Man, you had taken it to Alabama in the first half and forced two turnovers. Um, you you held held Alabama to what 130 yards of total offense and and you know really just one you know drive where the where the offense looked cohesive. I mean Tennessee was clicking and um, you know just just lost the thread at, at the half. I mean they're gonna be kicking themselves for that one for a long time. Yeah. Yep. The, the, sorry, AP. The, the irony of the Alabama penalty too. Uh, the one penalty is it shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, <laughs> the, the center snapped it, which is legal. Everybody else didn't go. It wasn't like everybody else went before the center. The center just snapped, you know, before everybody else decided to go. It's not an illegal. So he didn't double clutch it. It's not an illegal snap. It looked odd because one guy went and not everybody else did. But the guy who went was the guy who's in control of the football. Um, so the irony of it is they should not have had a penalty at all in the game, Austin, based on that fact. And um, listen, you, you know, you got to flush it. I think the frustration for, everybody in regards to officiating is is just a lack of transparency on 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 anything and everything i mean i don't i don't think it should be on a on the the losing coach on monday to have to explain the the rule on the fair catch i think that should have been explained by an officiating you know by somebody in officiating in charge of officiating not not an expert who's got a microphone on a tv as a rules expert i mean by someone with authority uh, explain that one to, to the fans and, and to everybody out there and not not make a head coach respond to it on Monday after he's gotten whatever clarity he gets. I don't think that's the head coach's job. That should be the, the head of official's job to explain on Monday. The conference makes way too much money. Everybody, the commissioner, all the underlings, the schools, everybody makes too much money to not have trans, transparency and accountability. You know, um, again, there are going to be missed calls. Some of them are, are pure judgment calls. Um, that goes on, and it goes on in Tennessee's favor. It goes on against Tennessee, um, you know, in, in that way, way for every school. But, like, again, the lack of transparency and accountability is, is probably what, you know, really drives the conspiracies, what drives um, the thought process. And, and it's not just like that in football. I mean, how many times have you heard rupperies and Kentucky gets the whistle and all that in basketball? I mean, same thing there. I mean, like it goes on across the board and it's not just the SEC. It goes on in every conference. But again, the fact that nobody sits there and walks you through it again, as, as Josh Heupel explained, is that the rule? Sure. Should it have been called? No, because people should have common sense. But I mean, again, like, you know, it's not like that, that Cam Seldon was back there, you know, doing it or pointing to the sky or whatever. I mean, this is something that got 30 yards away. But, again, neither here nor there. Like, you got to move on from it because at the end of the day, Tennessee's got a Kentucky team that's capable. Um, but, in, in my opinion, you know, what Kentucky does well, Tennessee does well defensively and stopping. So, um, I think this is not a great matchup for Kentucky, but they are coming off a bye week, and Tennessee's coming off two really physical football games. Yeah, I think the lack of transparency was what gets everybody frustrated. And I mean, that's not going to change here in midseason. Um, it's, it just kind of is what it is. And it's, it hasn't changed in four decades. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, everybody's saying, well, what's Sankey say about this? I, Sankey's not asked these questions, guys. I mean, it's just, and, and he's not going to be asked these questions in front of a public setting. Um, 
just is what it is. Rob Lewis, Joe Milton, really good first half. Of course, Joe Milton, not a very good second half. Tennessee, very bad second half. Uh, offense, defense, every, everybody involved. Uh, what did you like about Joe Milton's game and kind of how he r- really took over the football game there in the first half, throwing the football and, of course, running the football? I mean, I thought he was decisive. I mean, and, and I would also, you know, guess that, that Heupel helped him out with the play calling um, there in the first half. I mean, it, it really looked like, you know, Joe was just – you knew where he wanted to go. Didn't make, didn't, was not hesitant. Didn't hold on to the ball. And and we've all talked about it. Loved the way he was a he was a willing and capable runner. You know, I I, I don't expect him to you know lower his shoulder. You know, every time. You know, fifteen times a game. And no, he shouldn't. But you know, to see to to have that element. You know, in, in the holster. You know, I, I thought that was good to see. And I I just thought he was. You know, I've used it before. Decisive, and I don't mean just throwing the football. I mean pulling it down a couple times, and. And, and just deciding he was going to run with the ball, whereas at times I think we, we've seen him be, you know, hesitant. Am I buying time to, you know, to to throw, or am I just getting out of the pocket to run? I thought a couple of instances he made quick decisions when he was going to run and got positive yardage. But the the biggest takeaway in the first half is he he just seemed to, to know where he wanted to go with the football. He was quick about it, and um, you know was largely accurate. You know, for for the most part. Brent, I thought you know. Arguably his best throw of the day, either this one or Squirrel. You know, one was down the field, one was six yards or whatever. Um, you know, right before the half, it was a drive where, man, you, you get stuffed on fourth down. We can talk about those decisions here in a moment. Your defense bells you out with a really nice, you know, interception in the end zone. Great defensive play. You drive down the length of the field, a little less than three minutes, less than fifteen seconds on the clock in that first half. Your third and goal from the six or whatever. And you got man coverage. It's a rub route. And, you know, Milton's blitz, and he throws a beautiful ball to a spot uh, from McCallum Castles. I thought that was a gorgeous throw. And that was a huge touchdown right before the half, giving, again, Tennessee the momentum and, and a, a, a bigger lead, 20-7, to 7, heading into the break. Well, we talk about situational awareness, right? And coming out of the Texas A&M game, we talked a lot about Joe's lack of situational awareness, running out of bounds short of the sticks, not taking advantage or taking a shot when you got a free play. The situational awareness that he had on that play, now it was a timeout, so he was reminded of it. I'm sure he put the headsets on. I, I saw him talking to Joey Halsley upstairs before that play. But to understand that you're probably going to get zero here, right? You're going to get an all-out blitz. You cannot take a sack, okay? I mean, you've, you've got to get the ball out of your hands. You cannot do anything to, to take a sack, and the ball's got to be in a place where there's only your guy's going to catch it or you're going to kick a field goal. You know, that, that's an, I mean, that's a really nice play because that's what a veteran quarterback's supposed to do, right? That's the situational awareness that you're looking for, which I, I thought was good for Joe. I, I didn't think Joe was as bad in the second half as some other people uh, seem to think that he was. I thought Tennessee's receivers were bad in the second half. Um, I, I didn't think Tennessee's receivers got open, you know, on those comeback routes and some different things like that. I think Alabama mixed up some of their coverage stuff. I think they played more physical. Um, Tennessee got behind the sticks, AP. They were they were more in second and eight instead of second and four, or second and five, which changes your play calling. Joe's got to hold it a little bit longer in some of those instances. But but I didn't think the receivers got open nearly as well in, in the second half as they did in the first half. I, I thought Alabama's physicality in the secondary, whether it was legal or not legal, showed up, and that's something Tennessee has to adjust to because I promise you, everybody they play down the stretch here going to try to beat them up on the outside as much as they can yeah i mean you look at you know this weekend i'm sure that mark soups will have his guys doing the same 
the Abrams Drain kid at Missouri is a, is a corner that continues to have success. Once, you know, uh, a target here for wide receiver for, for Jeremy Pruitt, and he's having a really nice year as a DB at Missouri. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, Georgia is always going to play physical. So, I mean, like you're right, that's going to be something they have to encounter uh, over the next uh, three or four weeks. And so they're going to have to figure it out. Um, but, uh, you know, Tennessee's got to find a way to get separation uh, with their wide receivers. And, and maybe it's through scheme. Uh, maybe it's through the receivers being a little more physical back or, or who knows what. But, you know, I think that ultimately, you know, they, they've got to do some things that are different because the, the second half is probably going to be a blueprint for how they're defended the next month. Rob, I think one of the biggest surprises for me in this football game, and, and you knew it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, it's never going to be easy to run the football on the road in the Southeastern Conference, especially against a defense like Alabama. I mean, Tennessee had the best rushing attack in the SEC, and, and just, you know, without Joe Milton's legs and Joe Milton's running ability where he gained 93 yards, he didn't net that much because of sacks. Now, Tennessee was pretty much one-dimensional. Couldn't, couldn't get anything going in the traditional run game from his trio of backs, and uh, that's another contributing factor to – you know, your second and eights, you know, third and nines instead of third and fours, you know, second and fives. Tennessee couldn't run the football in the traditional sense at Alabama. Yeah, I was surprised at how, how they were bottled up, especially, you know, given how good they were the week before against Texas A&M, which is, you know, a salty defense in its own right. And uh, But the biggest surprise to me was just Jalen Wright not able to find. And I don't put it all on Jalen. I mean, I don't think there was – I don't think he was missing a lot of open running lanes. But, uh, you know, he's been so good – at, at, at the chunk plays. He had eight eight runs of, you know, 10-plus yards against Texas A&M alone. And then his long run on Saturday against Alabama was for five yards. And, and I, I thought that was really a, a key with how they were able to, you know, just control Tennessee's offense. They There weren't those six, seven, you know, eight, eight nine-yard, you know, little burst in the run game that just continually, you know, kept the chains moving, kept the tempo going. And to not – See, you know, Jalen be able to squirt, squirt out for a gain of longer than five yards all, all game long. I could, you could have taken all the money I had if, if you wanted to bet me that Jalen's long run of the day was going to be a f- for five yards in Tuscaloosa. So Tennessee falls to Alabama. We'll have a little bit more on this game and then looking ahead to Kentucky. What does Tennessee need to do better on the road, that environment? And how big is this game coming up in Lexington for the Volunteers? That and a whole lot more as the VolQuest podcast continues. Do you want to give a big thanks to Game Time for being a part of the show? You guys shouldn't have to worry at all about buying tickets to your next big event, whether it's uh, you know theater, whether it's of course sporting events. I should lead off with that: sporting events, UT football, UT basketball, you know baseball, lady balls, whatever the case may be. But also comedy in your area, theater in your area, shows. You can find those tickets with the Game Time app. It's the fast and easy way to buy all the tickets for things in your area. Plus, they've got killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views of your seats, and the best price guarantee. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Uh, you can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what you're going to expect when you arrive. Plus, they've got protection, job loss protection, um, they got cancellation protection, and the lowest price guaranteed. That's at the Game Time app. I encourage you today to go ahead and download the Game Time app, create an account, and when you create an account, use the promo code VOLS, V O L S, and you're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, promo code VOLS, V O L S, VOLS. For $20 off, download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Big thanks to Game Time, and as always, a big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for making this podcast possible. Your roof, it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you, as always, to Exterior Home Solutions. Big friends of the program. They can be a friend to you today. 865 524 5888s, a free estimate by calling that phone number today. Last thing on the Alabama game, then you got to flip the page. Tennessee's flipping the page. Got a big game coming up on the road to Kentucky. Uh, still 5-2 and two on the season, 2-2 two and two in SEC play. A lot to play for if you're the Volunteers. Uh, but we need to go back and discuss the decisions to go forward on fourth down. Obviously, a huge point in this football game um, was not successful. You went for it twice on fourth down. Um, it, on, on your own side of the 50, it did not translate into success. And Brent Hubbs, that's something Tennessee's really struggled at. Short yardage, especially fourth and, and two and short. You had a good note in your 10 things you think you learned. Uh, Tennessee's got to get better to have success in that area. Well, if you're going to keep going for it on, on fourth and, and a yard, yard and a half, fourth and eight inches, whatever, if, if that's, you know, you got to have something that works there. Um, and, and, and whatever that is, is whatever that is. It's, it's like people were talking about the Eagles on Sunday night going for it from their own 27-yard line, you know, and they flash up the analytics, and this is what analytics say and all that stuff. I don't really understand, you know, to me all those things end up being a gut feel. But the Eagles go for it there because they're the best short yardage team in football, um, you know, and Tennessee's not the best short yardage team in football. And I think that that's something you have to take into account when, when you're making those decisions, unless – you got some things up your sleeve that are that are different, um, you know. But but Austin, the tight formation and and running it, you know, into the into the interior of the line of scrimmage, thinking you're going to get a push there against the nine or ten man box. I, I think it's I think it's pretty evident that's not what Tennessee does best, and it's not worked this season. Well, for me, like if you're going to go tight formation, don't you got to go with like tight formation personnel? It's like they'll be like in their regular, you know spread stuff and all of a sudden they bring squirrel in you know in top me like what's he gonna do makes no sense you know like you know i mean like if you're gonna put some you're gonna kind of go you know pound it then bring in some guys to pound it i mean don't don't have you know small tiny guys trying to you know help lead block in some of these instances that's the part that gives the head scratcher to me like quit worrying about the tempo if you're slowing it down to try to go for a fourth and one like this get the first down and then substitute then you can get back into your tempo like like the whole notion of hey we're gonna, you know, we're gonna run this for a first down, then hop up and then we're gonna go. You know, like I just, I mean, like just get the first down. Ultimately, that's what matters most. Um, you know, hype said you know they they've been under center. Like they've not really been under center this year. They went under center far more a year ago in these instances with Princeton fan behind them and whoever else. Um, that's just not been their, you know, that's not been their modus operandi. You know, this year as far as you know, you know these short yardage situations whether it be third or fourth down yeah i mean i, I mean I, the bunch stuff doesn't work the, the thought process with not subbing is that doesn't uh, that prevents the defense from putting their goal line stuff in sure right now here's the thing i would say to that because of the way because of the way offense football is played aren't coaches adjusting to not having as many substitution packages as they had four or five years ago right i mean you got to recruit guys 
you know, your defensive line have to be able to rush the passer and hold up in the run game. Like, you, you just don't have the ability to, as a defensive guy, okay, we're going to bring in, Rob, our two run stoppers on on this run play. I mean, in college football, defensive guys are three-down players. They're not a one-down player or a two-down player. So I don't think you get the advantage by jumping into that, preventing the defense to sub that maybe you once – thought you did or, or, or did a few years ago uh, before defenses adjusted to, to this stuff. I mean, I think defenses have caught up to some degree with tempo because they're not, they don't have as many sub packages to rotate in and out based on every situation. Yeah. And I just, I mean, uh, even more simple than that, I just think, you know, Tennessee going into that game was averaging 230 yards a game on the ground and they were doing it, you know, by, by spreading people out and, and, you know, creating creases and gashing them. And that's, they weren't doing it by, you know, bringing it, you know, bunching everything up within 12 yards of, of, of the football on the line of scrimmage and, and just trying to, you know, move people in a scrum. So that, I don't get why you get away from what's, you know, I understand short yardage is different, but, you know, if you spread the defense out, there's, you know, they're going to get out there and guard you and you're going to have, you know, roughly the same looks that, that you're typically dealing with. So that, that, just getting out of character, I guess, Hubbard, and I know you've talked about it, is, is what I find the most head-scratching. I, I really didn't have a problem with the, the, the fourth down, you know, the, the strategy of the fourth down call in the, in the third quarter. I know hindsight makes it look bad, but, I, you know, that's that, it was totally in keeping with Heifel's nature, I mean, for him to go for it there, you know, to, to try and change momentum. It, it, was, it was not out of character for him, I and mean, he wasn't, you know, reaching like we, we see some opponents do sometimes, I think, when they, they clearly – you know, make calls like that, that, that they're just trying to respond to Tennessee's offense. I mean, that was, that is Josh Heupel to go for it there. Hated the call, you know, hated the execution, but I, I didn't think that was just out of hand to go for it, you know, up 20 to 17 from your own 47 there in the third. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, Eric, if you're going to be, if you're going to keep doing that and, and that's your nature and that's what you're going to do, you've got enough evidence to show you can't just line up and hammer it at people. So you've got to be more creative. I'm not really sure what that call was. It was a shovel pass look. Um, I went back and watched Princeton fans scored on a Utah pass for a two point conversion against Alabama a year ago. So I went back to look to see if it was the exact same play. Um, and th they pulled a guard, the, the tight ends leading behind coming behind, but in the play against Alabama in Knoxville, Hooker caught it and sort of stood still and flipped it. He didn't run into the coverage a little bit. This has got Joe running into a turn loose free defensive end. I'm not sure what they were. I'm not sure it was executed the way it was drawn. I'm not saying it was a complete bust. Maybe Alabama guessed right. I don't know, but I, I don't, if that was supposed to be a Utah pass or a shovel pass, I don't know how the quarterback's supposed to throw that with the defensive end on top of him as fast as he is on that play. It just, the more I looked at it, the more I got, well, okay, they weren't running straight zone read here. They weren't running straight dive. They were running something creative. It just didn't have a chance based on the, the what they ran themselves into there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think somebody was wrong, obviously, or somebody didn't execute. I mean, that that's a given um, because the, the, the whole – going to that free man off the line of scrimmage essentially did, did make a whole lot of sense to me. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you got to get creative because, again, I, I completely agree. Fourth and one, fourth and two, 
just you know taking the football and handing it straight up the middle i mean that's not working so you gotta i'm, I'm not a coach i mean i don't have an answer you got to find a way to be more creative in those situations because it's just not there right now well and that's the challenge for this team moving forward okay as you spend as you, you flush this thing and move forward it's not that you just flush it and you walk away and like, okay, it's all out of our system. It's out of our mind. And Josh Heupel talked to us about this on Monday. It's how you grow from it. It's how you improve on things that you didn't handle the right way, whether that's a locker room halftime speech and adjustment to play calls to personnel use. I mean, you have to grow from every experience, and that's the challenge for this team. Don't spend the week talking about officiating. Don't spend the week rehashing every play. See, look at it, deal with it, learn from it, grow from it, and improve. And and that's the challenge for this program as they get ready for Kentucky. So Tennessee will get ready for Kentucky this week. Head to Lexington for a Saturday night kickoff, seven o'clock. And this is a Kentucky team that's you know got a pretty uh, it's it's got its stout defense numbers wise. It's technically improved offensively though. It's got to this point a pretty underwhelming quarterback play, but. Uh, what they do have that's really, really good is a running game and Ray Davis, formerly of Vanderbilt, coming over via the transfer portal, replacing Chris Rodriguez Jr., and he's done a really, really good job. Josh Hoppel spoke on the challenges of trying to stop Ray Davis and how important it will be to try to stop his momentum in order to win the football game. Well, you got to stop them early uh, at the line of scrimmage, um, but uh, their offensive line, their tight ends, um, they're extremely physical. They do a really good job getting a hat on a hat. Uh, we got to be violent. We got to be disruptive. You got to have uh, gap integrity um, between all their different personnel groupings, uh, their shifts, their motions. We got to do a great job communicating and uh, and being, you know, gapped out. And at the the end of the day, when uh, when you meet the ball carrier, you got to do a great job of tackling him too. Uh, he's extremely physical. Ray Davis, right now second in the SEC. They just had a bye week. 781 rushing yards. He's first in the SEC with 13 total touchdowns. Eight on the ground, five through the air. He had 280 yards a couple weeks ago against Florida. Um, he's a good player, and uh, Tennessee will have their hands full trying to stop him. Uh, I would say Austin Devin Leary to this point has not been uh, who he was at point in times at NC State's. And you know Tennessee stops the run, forces the ball through the air a little bit. You'll have an opportunity to go and make some plays. Uh, Ten turnovers offensively, seven interceptions from Leary. Yeah, I would make Devin Leary beat you. You know, I mean, like, you know, Tennessee does a nice job. And honestly, they do a nice job stopping the run without having to load the box. And so, like, if they're able to do that, then it makes things much harder for Devin Leary. That's why I just think it's it's a it's a tough matchup for Kentucky. Not to say they can't win this game because they can. Uh, but, again, what they do well, Tennessee defensively normally does pretty well at stopping. So, um, you know, Kentucky's not going to change, you know, who they are they're going to hand it to ray davis a bunch the question is is kind of like you know how much do you corral him how much do you eliminate eliminate his big plays and then the other place i think you're going to watch him too is leary throwing swing passes or screen passes to ray davis as well yeah again he's been a nice uh, you know receiver out of the backfield if you will i mentioned those five touchdowns on the season already a place where they've improved is the line of scrimmage last year the, that offensive line gave up, gosh, I want to say 42 sacks. That was 13th in the SEC. Uh, only 11 sacks given up so far this year. So it's going to be a challenge for the defensive line uh, to try to disrupt um, you know, the, the pocket, try to push the pocket a little bit. Uh, but again, uh, Brian, the, the way Tennessee rotates defensive linemen, the way some of those defensive linemen has played, James Pierce, Barron, you know, East, and all those guys, 
Uh, it shouldn't be anything that they can't handle, but it's going to be a big point in the you know, emphasis in the football game because, you know, stat-wise, you went from an offensive line that had given up a ton of sacks in Alabama to one in Kentucky that really hasn't given up an awful lot. Well, and you're coming off two very physical games. You know, that now the rotation on the defensive line should help Tennessee, but typically teams the week after they play Alabama have are, are not as physical. Um, look at, a, I mean, A&M came to Knoxville after a disappointing loss, and, you know, they gave up more yards on the ground than they've given up at any point in time in the year. Tennessee hit their average of what A&M was giving up in the first quarter. Um, so clearly they, they they weren't physical enough and weren't ready to go. Tennessee's got to match the physicality early because I guarantee you Stoops is preaching that message to them about, hey, Tennessee's going to be beat up. we got a chance to win the line of scrimmage. Let's go get it. Here's the other thing too, Rob, that's going to be interesting in this matchup. Tennessee's beaten Stoops twice, and they've done it by chunking just chunk plays all over the place, right? I mean, I think they've got something like seven touchdowns of 20-plus yards the last two matchups. Um, and this is not an offense that's doing that right now. you got to drive the ball against Kentucky, which is a different type game that plays a little more into Kentucky's strategy of shortening the game out. But the, the game has gotten away from Kentucky the last couple of years because Tennessee's been able to big play them like crazy. How does Tennessee operate offensively with the idea that they can't big play the Wildcats as much as they have the last two years? Yeah, I think that's a a, a good point, Hubbard, because that's not been you know this what what this offense is is good at. And Kentucky, you know, not as dynamic defensively in terms of you know NFL talent that, that as they have been you know, in the past couple of years either. But um, yeah, I, you know, just like we all thought the Alabama game was going to be more of a you know under thirties, and it would have been under thirty if not for that that late defensive touchdown, but. You know, I, I think this is going to be one too where the character is different, at least from you know Tennessee's standpoint, where it is more of a ground and pound. But I, I, I go back to what AP said, Hubbard. I mean, I, I, I don't expect Tennessee to big play to death, but I, I do think it's a good matchup for Tennessee in terms of you know Kentucky struggles to to real, I mean, really struggles to throw the ball in, in the air. Tennessee's been good at you know uglying things up for opposing ground game, and you know Devin Lee's last three games completed just fifty three percent of his passes. And um, you see, I know you had the stat about the only 11 sacks on the year, but seven of those has come in the last two weeks yeah. against, you know, some against legit SEC defenses in Georgia and, and Missouri. So I just, you know, the, in Kentucky's highlight of, of the year, they went for 300 plus yards on the ground against Florida. I, I don't see them being able to do that against Tennessee. Now, I, you know, I think Tennessee will maybe have trouble scoring points too, but I, I like like AP said originally, I, I like the matchup for Tennessee just on the face of it. Yeah, I mean, context is key. Start off 5-0, and wins over Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, at Vanderbilt, and then that Florida game you referenced, last two games out, lost to Missouri by double scores at home, and uh, got drilled on the road at Georgia. So we'll break down this matchup, Tennessee-Kentucky, as the week goes on. Snap and clear mentality for Tennessee this week. You got to flip the page, turn the page, leave Alabama and Tuscaloosa, and go on and win this football game before you come back home for UConn and then, of course, a couple more big-time SEC games. So uh, we'll preview it all as week goes on here at VolQuest.com. For Eric Kane, that's me. For Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price, I appreciate you guys for uh, being here and listening to us on the Exterior Home Solutions VolQuest podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday for the uh, Mailbag podcast. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.